Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. All right. Well, we will continue our study today in Acts chapter 9. We'll dig into the second part of Saul's conversion. We really got through the first part in Saul's encounter with the glorified Lord Jesus Christ as he had a vision of him on the road to Damascus as light came around him and blinded him and and took him to the ground, quite frankly. And so here we'll continue on in our study of Acts chapter 9. We'll see really the, the second half of his conversion and what continues to unfold and what we see from Saul as he comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And really, as we consider what's brought us to this point, I go back again as I've reinforced all along in that I believe that the encounter that Saul had with the martyr Stephen, that first deacon who was raised up, who had such a testimony for his faith in Jesus Christ, that that impacted Saul. And the reality is, it's the Spirit that draweth one unto repentance, and we know that the Spirit had been drawing Saul for some time. And, and I believe he used this encounter that he had with Stephen, as, as Stephen shared in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, through the end of the chapters, Stephen says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And here, I'm sure, touched, pierced to the heart by the power of the Spirit and the witness of Stephen the martyr, Saul began to be convicted about the life that he was living. But sadly, as is often the case with many of us, when conviction comes, when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we can either submit to it and surrender to it, or in many cases, we do our best to run from it and try and silence that conviction in our lives. And that's what happened here for Saul as he continued, as the Word says, to breathe murderous threats against the church as he sought to persecute the church, not just to persecute it, but to shut it down, to shut it off to kill every believer, to imprison them, and to ensure that he silenced the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet what we'll see as we continue in our study of Acts chapter 9 today is that God had a plan for Saul's life, and the Spirit was pursuing him. The hound dogs of heaven, as it were, that will sniff out whomever they desire to use, and for the benefit of us all, Saul was pursued by the Holy Spirit and fortunately surrendered. And so if you would just agree with me in prayer again as we go to the Word, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We ask that you'd bless our time of study here today as we've been in worship, as we go to your word, and as we prepare, Lord, for communion. Do work in our hearts, Lord, I pray. Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that they'd surrender their lives to you today. If there's anyone here, Lord, that's running from you today, that's resisting the the conviction and and the drawing of the Holy Spirit in their lives, Lord, that they'd surrender today. 
and those that are here today that have been walking with you for some time, Lord, but yet there's things in our lives that are not pleasing to you. Lord, help us to deal with those things today, that we could leave here, Lord, recognizing the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, to leave here on fire for the things of you, to be excited about going out and fulfilling the plan and purpose that you have for each of us, Lord, in our walks with you, we pray. So bless our study, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so we catch up with Saul then again as he was on the road to Damascus. He had gotten letters from the priests in the synagogues, letters specifically that would give him authority to go and to persecute the church. He wanted so badly to shut down the church. Was it because he hated the church in general? Perhaps. But I believe that he also hated what was going on in his own heart. As the Spirit was drawing him, dealing with the reality of what it would mean to surrender to the call of Jesus Christ in his life. And as we saw in our previous study last week, there was three characteristics of Saul's conversion or his encounter with God on the road to Damascus that should be applicable to any one of us. Any one of us who is coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you should be able to reflect on these things in your own life. The time when you had to go through these things, when you had to to realize these things. Or if the Spirit's drawing you to repentance, that these would be things that you would commit yourself to. And really they come in the form of two questions and one action. Three things that we see here. The first of which is that when Saul is blinded on the road to Damascus and he's laying there on the ground, the first question he asks is, who are you, Lord? Now, yes, he uses the term Lord here. And for that reason, many believe that this is the point in which Saul was converted, that he had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior at this point. I tend to lean a little bit more towards this was the drawing that he was having an encounter at this point, but it it wasn't yet complete until he had prayed with a man named Ananias in a home in Damascus, that that is when he fully surrendered. But nevertheless, and regardless of where you stand on this particular issue, we know that the Spirit was drawing Saul and that he would be saved, that he would repent. But here the first question he asks, and the one that we should all ask, is who are you, Lord? If you claim today to be a Christian, then you should have an understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is to you. You see, even in this time, many were named Jesus. There was many who were named Jesus, but there was only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here, Saul sought to understand this as he was having this incredible encounter. He says, who are you, Lord? And we should ask that same question as we encounter Jesus Christ. We should know. We should be able to look back on our walk with him and say, I remember when I came to an understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ was and is, who he is in my life. Because what we'll see is that throughout the rest of Saul's life and his ministry, he would only refer to his Lord Jesus Christ. That became a title. He recognized who was in charge in his life when he came to know who Jesus really was. The second thing that he asks is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so as we are surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, just as Saul did here, the natural next question should be, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's your plan? What is it that you have for me to do? You see, we should be about two primary things in our walk with him. Knowing Jesus Christ and doing his will. Everything else should pale in comparison to that. When we do those things and we do them with our whole heart, when we pursue him to understand and to know him and to do his will, everything else, Christian, is going to fall into place. It doesn't mean that everything will be 
perfect and hunky-dory all the time, that you'll never face a trial, that there'll never be any issues. But if you, with your whole heart, are pursuing to know Him and to know His will and to carry that out in your life, then He will take care of the rest. But finally here, and this is an action that we saw on the part of Saul, is as Saul was blinded and he was lifted up by those who were traveling with him and he opened his eyes, because to this point he was probably in the fetal position, laying on the ground, I know I would be, and he had his eyes tightly closed because of this crazy thing that was happening. They get him up to his feet and he opens his eyes and he realizes, I can't see anything. He's blind. And so his friends, his travel companions there, they, they lead him into Damascus, into a house, and for three days... He sits in prayer for three days. No eating, no drinking, blind. What I believe Saul does during this time is he counts the cost of following Christ. He considers what it means to follow Christ. He considers what it is going to require of him to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, we should do the same. As I challenged us with last week, Far too often individuals will come to Jesus Christ on an emotional high, not considering what it means to follow Him. And it's not about the fact that in order to follow Jesus Christ, we're required and we have to give up all these things. But to come to a place where we recognize the importance of following Him such that we want to give up those things. Such that we would be committed to say, no matter what happens, no matter the cost, no matter the things that I lose, No matter the challenges that I'll face, it's all worth it to follow Jesus Christ because I understand who he is and what he wants for me and for my life. And so now there is a plan that God has, of course, for how Saul is going to continue to come to know him as Lord and Savior. And that's where we'll pick back up here in verse 10 in chapter 9. And we read, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now this is all that we really know of this man. This one account here, that's a pretty important account. It's a pretty important situation that we learn of here, but we really know nothing else of Ananias. We'll neither see him nor hear from him again. And as far as we know, he's an average disciple an average follower of Jesus Christ, one who wants to know and to learn more of Jesus Christ, but one who is accustomed to hearing from the Lord. And that's a unique thing here, that we don't get a sense of surprise on Ananias' part when he hears the Lord call to him. He says, yes, Lord, here I am. And oh, how I wish that were a common thing in my own life, that on a regular basis, that I could just hear the Lord call me. Yes, Lord. Here I am. That it was so commonplace that it was this regular interaction. Now, does the Lord speak? Yes. Does the Lord lead? Does God speak to us and give us open doors? Yes, absolutely. But I believe here that Ananias heard from the Lord and it was clear and he knew immediately to respond to him. He was someone who was led of and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see two things happen here in the call of Ananias. The first of which helps us to understand that God uses us. God allows us to be instruments in the salvation of others. What a privilege that is. Do we understand that? Some of you out there may may have been party to the conversion of someone that you had prayed for for a long time. Maybe God gave you the opportunity to share the gospel with someone and they received it and they repented and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, God didn't have to do that. God didn't need to use you, but he chose to. 
He allows us to be a part of things. That occasionally we get to be participants in growing the family of believers. And we should rejoice in that. We should be appreciative of that. As we continue our focus rightly on evangelism within this church, on being bold and sharing our faith in whatever way the Lord calls us to do that, we should be excited about the fact that God is using us to grow the kingdom. And aside from the fact that Ananias was clearly spirit-filled and led, as I've mentioned, that there was nothing special about him. And I emphasize that again because that should be an encouragement to each and every one of us who maybe oftentimes consider ourselves to be less than what we are in Christ. To maybe think of ourselves as not being worthy of, of being used by God. And rest assured, we're not. We're not worthy. We deserve nothing. Yet God desires to use you. I can share that with you today as a promise from the Word of God that God wants to use you. He wants to work in your life. And no different than Ananias here, it's just an average disciple who was used in a mighty way to pray for, to lay hands on, to be a part of the conversion of one named Saul, who of course would become the Apostle Paul, who gave us through the empowering of the Spirit much of the New Testament. That we have today the Word of God and we can read the words of the Apostle Paul in large part because God chose to use Ananias to speak to him. And he wants to use you and me to impact his kingdom as well. If we are willing, if like Ananias, we can be willing to, when God calls, say, yes, here I am, Lord. Even when it's a difficult call that God places on our lives. As we'll see in verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. You see here, in the case of Saul and many others, often the direction that the Lord provides is more limited and and requires that we step out in faith. We talked about this last week, and, and even two weeks prior to that in the account with Philip, As Philip was called from ministry in Samaria and and great things were happening, and the Lord says to Philip, he says, go, go into the desert. And he doesn't give him any more direction than that. And if I'm anything like Philip, I'm going to say, oh, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave what you're doing here in Samaria. There's great things happening. You're blessing here. And you want me to leave and go to the desert? But God calls and Philip says, okay, I'll go. And he doesn't give him anything more than that. But just go, go to the desert and I'll tell you what you need to do when you get there. Same thing for Saul here. When Saul encounters God on the road to Damascus, and then he goes to stand, and he says, what would you have me to do, Lord? He says, go into Damascus. He tells him to go into the city and wait there. And he doesn't give him anymore. And so often, we as well, we seek God. We seek to understand his plan, his purpose, his will for our lives, and and we get so much less than what we had hoped for and anticipated. God, that's it? That's all you're going to tell me? You're just going to tell me to go and take this step? And yes, that's what God oftentimes requires, that we take a step of faith and we wait on him for the next step. But here, for Ananias, he gave him a little bit more. Here, we see the Lord give Ananias a great deal more. Several specifics of what he is to go do. And this is necessary here, both for Ananias to accomplish the task, but also because of what he was being asked to do. It had a great deal of risk associated with it. I believe that here it was fair for God to say, Ananias, I'm asking you to do something that's pretty radical. I'm asking you to do something that's going to be extremely hard. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I need you to do here. You see, God works in various ways with each of us, but he understands what we need and how to grow us and how to grow our faith. 
as we consider our distinctive series, one of the things that we're going to talk about that's more specific to Calvary Chapel is this idea of a venture in faith. This phrase that has been coined about Calvary Chapel and and what it required of individuals as they stepped out in faith. And Pastor Chuck often shares of the ways in which God would maybe give him one step and he'd step out, or times when he'd step out in faith and God would close a door and he'd say, okay, that obviously wasn't of the Lord, and and times when, when God would be very specific about a number of different things that he was to go and do, and as he was faithful to it, the Lord blessed. See, God speaks to us in a variety of different ways, and here, because I believe of the difficulty of what he was being asked to do, God was gracious in giving Ananias several steps that he could follow. But the important part is, Christian, that we go. Regardless of how many steps are shared, regardless of how much detail God gives us regarding the plan, when we know that God has called, we must respond and we must go in obedience to what the Lord has called us to. And in verse 13, Ananias answers and says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. You see, it is true that that there are times when we are called to something and we may not want to do it. Plenty of times God will ask of us something and just because it's the call of God on our lives doesn't mean that it's the most exciting thing to us at that particular moment. But it doesn't change the call. The call of God on my own life to be a pastor was made known to me very early on at a young age. It was confirmed over and over again. This this boy's going to be a pastor. Do you know how much I hated it when people would say that? Stop saying that. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to do it. Especially my mother, who prayed over and over and told me all the time, well, I can't wait till you're a pastor. I'd say, Mom, stop saying that. I don't want to do that. And as I went through high school and I rebelled, And as I went into college, I had a list of all the different things that I would potentially study in the career that I would pursue, and none of them were related to the ministry. And then even as I began to surrender, I'd come up with all these different ways in which I could sort of dabble in the ministry. Partial fulfillment, partial obedience, right? Until that point where, and we won't go into all this today, but when I finally surrendered and said, okay, I give up. Wow. (laughs) So godly, right? Such a such a powerful conversion experience, you know, so, so just spirit-led. You know, it was, okay, fine, I give up. I'm tired of running. You see, some of us are that way. Some of us are so ready, so ready for that call, no matter what it is, and we're just saying, Lord, 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 give it to me. And then some of us are like Saul. It's just, I'm going to do everything I can to silence this in my life. I don't want to hear it anymore. And here for Ananias, Ananias was obedient. What an awesome individual. I wish that we knew more about him. Because as average as he may have been, this is an individual who is ready to do what God asks. And to reach out to Saul. To reach out to this this man who was intent on wiping everybody out. Closing off the church. Silencing it. Here he was ready to go. He was ready to be obedient. Ready to risk personal safety, discomfort. Ready to forgive someone for what they had done. And never mistake the promise of peace that we have in knowing Jesus Christ with that of physical comfort in this life. You see, I'm confident that Ananias was in fact at peace when he decided to be obedient to the call. A peace which surpassed all understanding, yet it didn't guarantee his safety or his comfort. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a 
chosen vessel of mine, verse 15, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is really where we began to close last week as Ananias was starting to consider perhaps the reality of what it is that Saul must face here. And the fact that he was chosen, a chosen vessel by God to bear his name. What God did here, what the Lord showed Ananias was that this is incredibly important that you do this thing and I'm telling you go, for I have a plan and purpose for his life. And it might not be any different for you and me when when God calls us to something that he has a plan and purpose for it. And maybe not just for your life, but for those who you go to impact. That God may desire to use you to impact people, a group of people, a situation, whatever the case may be. We don't know. We don't have God's perspective. And he says, go. The Lord says to Ananias, go. And when the Lord says, go, you need to go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine, the Lord says. I have a plan and purpose for this man. And I'm inviting you to participate in this work. You see, that's the other thing here is that when God calls us to something, it's an invitation to be a part of his work. What greater thing for us to be a part of? What greater thing for us to surrender to than to be a part of what God is doing? And rest assured, no matter how difficult, when God has called you for for a purpose and you're obedient to it, then he's going to work. That his purpose, his plan and purpose is going to be carried out if we are obedient. And we can be confident that it's going to be a great thing. And we see here that God knows just how much Saul will need to endure for the sake of Jesus Christ. As I read last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 22 through 31, we see that Saul would have to endure a great deal, that he would later share of all the things that he endured. It says in verse 26 of chapter 11, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, and in weariness, and toil, and sleeplessness, and hunger, and thirst. And he goes on and on to talk of all the ways in which he had to endure suffering for the call that was on his life. As I mentioned before, for three days Saul sat in blindness, neither eating nor drinking, and he prayed. Ananias was told, you'll find a man and he'll be praying. And I don't doubt that during this time, Saul considered many things. Though he may not have known specifically yet the things that he would endure in terms of the the trials he would face that he spoke of in, in 2 Corinthians, I have to imagine he anticipated it. He had been around long enough now. He had seen enough things to know. He himself was the one who persecuted the church. I had to imagine would assume that that same persecution that he carried out on the church would then be carried out on him. He had to have considered his family, his education, his reputation. He knew it would be lost if he followed Christ. He considered the persecution. And as he prayed, being drawn of the Holy Spirit, he likely prayed real prayers for the first time. He sees Saul, the the zealous Jewish rabbi, would likely have have always prayed these specific prayers that were recited, that there was these specific prayers to be shared at certain times and certain ways. And this was likely then the first time that, that Saul, in responding to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, in considering the call on his life, in considering the surrender to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that this was the first time he didn't pray from a position of religious routine, but rather praying in the knowledge of what was happening in his life and in his heart, that his relationship was growing. 
in response to the Holy Spirit as he was beginning to pursue Jesus Christ, that he was now beginning to cry out. And maybe you remember that in your own life, depending on the background that you came out of. And maybe Jesus wasn't real to you. You didn't have a relationship with him. And finally, you start to really seek and to pray. And and suddenly your prayers change. Maybe you just didn't pray at all. It wasn't even part of your life. Maybe it was vain repetitions, these things that you recited, but suddenly you began to talk with him and to hear from him. And in the same way that we all should, Saul considered the cost of following Christ and he began to develop a relationship with him during this time before he completely surrendered. And Ananias went his way and he entered the house, verse 17, and leaned his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Ananias here embraces the very one who not long before was breathing murderous threats against the church. And really we celebrate here the miracle that is Saul's conversion as radical as it may be, as impactful as it may be, but Just as radical as this godly man, Ananias, who was willing to lay aside his own fears, his own anger, his own desire for justice and for vengeance, that he might bring another to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And as scales physically fell from his eyes, restoring his sight, of course, spiritually there were scales that were removed as well. As he saw the error in his way and and who Jesus Christ really was and surrendered his life to him. This was a true spiritual awakening in the heart and life of Saul. And he, having considered the cost, would be committed and never the same again. It's evidence of the power of the gospel and the grace and the mercy that we know through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we've had many of those same experiences in our own life. Maybe you're one of those individuals who somebody thought they will never, they will never come to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're a testimony to that. Or you know others. But oftentimes, because of where we live and where we grew up, or because it was just kind of ingrained in us from the very beginning, and it was just a natural thing, we saw great people around us, great people of faith, and we made that commitment. It doesn't lessen our story. It doesn't lessen or degrade our situation. But in light of that, sometimes we aren't privy to some of these radical conversions that help happen elsewhere in the world. Now, I've had the opportunity to go into prisons to teach you know, you talk to people in there, and it's just absolutely amazing how sold out for Christ they are, even though they know there's no chance of parole for them ever, that they're going to spend the rest of their life behind bars, and they are just absolutely at peace and content with it, knowing that they're exactly where they need to be at that point in their life, that God is going to use them in a mighty way. Individuals, as I've mentioned before, my travels in Africa, who I thought it's only by the grace of God, it's only by the empowering of the Spirit that these men were able to function the way that they did. These men who were willing to forgive people who literally murdered their own family. And so here we just see this amazing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How it has the ability to to transform hearts and minds, but not just of the individual who's surrendering, who's being saved for the first time, but those who are participating in it. You see, it does so much for us as well when God uses us in his plan and purpose in this way, that Ananias was no doubt changed through this experience and was able to testify to what forgiveness is really all about, what love is all about, how love truly does cover a multitude of sins. And immediately Saul was baptized. It was not enough that he knew this change to be true in his own heart, but he wanted to tell everyone else 
about it and, and make things as official as they could be. I want the whole package, he says. I want to do it all. I want to make it all right. You see, it wasn't the baptism that saved Saul, nor did it seal him or complete the process, as it were. But what we see consistently in the Word is that baptism serves as that step of obedience in, in making the decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior public, to proclaim it, to testify of what God has done in your lives. It serves as a, as a way to publicly and outwardly proclaim what God has done in your heart. And Saul did not delay in telling all that he was a transformed man. Again, we've got our, our baptism coming up at the end of the month, and it's the, it's the same thing for each and every one of you, that if you haven't been baptized, if you feel led to you know, whatever the Lord is leading you in and why, we want to understand that. But it's a way for us to proclaim what God is doing in our own lives. So when he had received food, verse 19, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. He was numbered now as a disciple. He was one of them. And what was Saul doing during this time? There was likely much to talk through, to learn, relationships to build, stories to tell. No different than the early days in anyone's walk. This was marked with great excitement, great anticipation for what God was going to do. Saul couldn't wait. He couldn't delay in beginning to live out the calling that God had on his life as he builds relationships with the other disciples that were no doubt resistant to him at first. But that's what it is. You see, oftentimes we say, hey folks, we need to work to get along here because we're going to spend eternity together, right? So let's start working on it now. Let's start working on what it means to be a brother and sister now. Of course, we'll be transformed at that time, be a little easier. Our flesh still gets in the way here. But you know, a lot of times we are, we're selective, we're, we're particular about where we have fellowship and who we have fellowship and who we connect with and who we don't connect with. Here they had to receive Saul. Saul? Are you kidding me? I've got to become friends with this guy? Yeah, he's your brother. And immediately, verse 20, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And so it was, it was custom that anyone who was educated, who was an abled individual, would have been able to share from the Scriptures in the synagogue in this way. This particular form was an open form. You could go and you could share from the Word. You could discuss things. And so it was, it, this was something that, that Saul would have done many times. Though no doubt, no one now expected Saul to share the things that he did. And it's important to note here that Saul immediately began to serve. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Saul was not given a formal teaching ministry. Again, this was something that was open to people. But what he was doing was simply telling people about Jesus Christ. Telling his story. So often someone gets saved and, and they sense a calling on their lives and they want to know when they're going to be able to speak at the next Harvest Crusade because they believe that what God has done in their life is they've just got to tell everybody, right? But maybe they expect it to be in some formal capacity, and that's just not going to happen right away. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And then other times people get saved, and you may not even know it because they're so silent about it. And the reality is the church would benefit so much from hearing what it is that God has done in your life. You see, Saul immediately starts to share of what God has done, and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, we would never put someone in ministry without giving it some time, okay? And so this isn't what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about putting Saul or anybody else in, in formal ministry as soon as they're saved. That's foolishness. We need to give somebody time. We need to disciple them. We need to make sure that God is, in fact, working in their lives. 
But to those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't think for a second that you can't be about his business, that you can't be serving, and that you can't be telling others of what God has done in your life. Because, as we read in verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. You have a story to tell. Everyone has a story to tell. And when you do, people will be amazed. They will be encouraged. They will benefit by hearing of and learning what God has done in your life. For some, as I've said, your story is very different than another, but it's yours. And it's a testimony to what God has done in your life. So I'm saying to you, share it. Tell it. Many of you have listened and you've heard as we've talked time and time again on the importance of evangelism and sharing your faith. And there's some of you here today that are still just almost deathly afraid of doing it because you perceive that as needing to be the next Greg Laurie who goes out there and speaks to thousands at a time. And that's not the case. For sometimes, and, and dare I use the word simple because I feel like that understates it, but it can be as simple as the person that you're sitting next to and taking that open door to just say, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. Saul immediately did what he was able to do. He served and he told people about Jesus. There's no six-month waiting period and a background check required to tell people about Jesus. Yes, we're going to be careful about order and process within the formal ministries that exist within the church, but I'm encouraging you today that if you're not actively serving in that way by telling others about what God has done in your life, then you're missing out on the opportunity both to glorify God by seeing others amazed by what He's done in your life and being strengthened yourself as you faithfully share of what He's done. And now after many days were passed, verse 23, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Now here we read after many days, and this was in fact many days as I mentioned last week, though we didn't go through it in depth. There was a lot of time that passed. We read in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that while I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. The first part here, after Saul is saved, he goes into the desert for a period of time. It takes him three years. He goes out, he comes back into Damascus, and then he goes up to Jerusalem. It was three years before he went to Jerusalem. And once he gets there, his, his life is sought again, and then they send him to Tarsus to keep him safe. And he's there for up to 10 years, depending on who you talk to. See, the reality is that it was 12 to 15 years before Saul is ever in what we would consider formal or full-time ministry. Yet he did not stop serving him in whatever way he could. We talk a lot about knowing and responding to the call of God in your life. And some of you, as such, you're agonizing over it. You want to know it. You want to understand it. You think, yes, this is good. I want to pursue it. I want to understand God's call in my life. And we want to know exactly what it is that God is calling us to. And here's the deal. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a while to understand the call of God on your life. But the important thing is that you step out in faith when he gives you a step. 
when he gives you just even a little bit, you're obedient to it. And that when you do that, when God sees that he has a willing and surrendered servant, he will continue to open doors. He'll continue to give you that next step. And here in verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. See, even after three years, there were those that struggled to receive him here, even. Maybe they were just that scared from what they knew of the man, having not met him at this point. Maybe they just needed to see it for themselves. Oh, I've heard about what's happening in the life of Saul, but I haven't seen it. I've got to see it for myself. Whatever the case was, they struggled to receive him at first, but then they did because others came alongside him and said, no, you need to receive him. Here's what he's done. And Saul continued to share what God had done and, and the Lord continued to bless. But you see here, Saul could have thrown in the towel at this point. He could have said, forget this. It's been three years. I, I go out into the desert. I'm, I'm hanging out in Damascus. God's done this work in my life, but then I get up here and they don't even want to receive me. Do you have any idea who I am? The skill set that I have, the qualities that I have, the ability to teach the word of God that I have, the testimony. Do you know how many people would benefit from knowing my testimony? I'm done. I'm out. No. Why? Because Saul had counted the cost. Because Saul had committed in his heart that no matter what, I'm following Jesus Christ. No matter what it takes, no matter what it requires, no matter what comes my way, it doesn't matter. I'm committed to him. And so threats against his life, they increase again. They send him, as I said, to Tarsus to keep him safe. And he's there for another eight to ten years before he goes out on his missionary journey. But you see, Christian, when we are eternally minded, whether three years, ten years, a day, whatever the case may be, all that matters is simple obedience to the call. What's God asking you to do? And you do it. And then the churches, verse 31, throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. See, the churches at this time, they didn't have peace simply because Saul was no longer persecuting them, though it certainly helped, I would imagine. They had peace because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see, it was around this time that a new emperor was transitioning into Rome, who was actually worse in terms of treatment to Christians than his predecessor. So it wasn't that they were entirely at peace. Yet, as we read, and as I've mentioned earlier in Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we have peace, and it doesn't make sense that we do or that we should, we can trust and know that that's peace that comes from the Lord. And that's what the church had here. That whenever God's people have a healthy fear of the Lord and find comfort in the Holy Spirit, not in the things of this world, then the church will be edified and built up. That's what we see happen here through the latter half of, of what's going on with Saul is this, this amazing conversion of this man and what he went through and the things he considered and the things he committed to and how he was faithful in serving and telling others of what happened. That the church continued to grow and it continued to be blessed. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, God continued to multiply the church. And as we bring the message today to a close, I want to touch on what we see here in the second part of Saul's conversion again. 
Three more things are evident here. The first of which is upon making the decision to follow Christ, he arose, was strengthened, baptized, and was in fellowship with other believers. An immediate lifestyle change. Secondly, he wasted no time in serving where he could and faithfully telling others of what Jesus had done in his life. And finally, sometimes your full calling is not immediately realized, but obedience to each step is the critical part, regardless of the cost. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.